0: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 93 with Robert D. Smith. Robert, or the Robert D., if you will, was so fun because he just is full of energy and he brings it. And it's pretty inspiring. And I hope that as I grow a bit older and wiser, I keep that kind of zest and enthusiasm the way he has. So I think you're in for a treat. So you're going to learn one, two questions to ensure you're not wasting time. Two, a fun framework for tackling big projects. And three, how to trick yourself into feeling more excited about the task before you. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, or the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep93. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of the handy resources, whether it's the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course. With tons of great tools to slash waste and boost effective collaborations. Take it from my training programs. Or right now, it's what I'm calling the honeymoon special because when this episode releases, I'm out on my honeymoon. So I just got married. Yay. And if you send me an inquiry about training your team in 2017 with my flagship program, the enhanced thinking and collaboration course, which shares ways to think and collaborate better so that your teams are doing less rework and more great work then you get a $1,000 discount. So that's the story. If you inquire over at awesomeatyourjob.com in that training program tab or just shoot me an email, Pete at job.com. I may be a bit slow in replying because I'm away from technology, but I will come back for you. And when I do, you can have a discount on some training for your team in 2017. It'd be fun to meet in person. Anyway, Let's talk about Robert. Robert D. Smith, or the Robert D., has managed and overseen the career of Andy Andrews, a three-time New York Times bestselling author. He served as a private consultant to numerous bestselling authors, speakers, entertainers, and cutting-edge organizations, educating them on the unique methods he has employed to sustain massive success and growth across multiple industries for his entire career. Robert is the author of 20,000 Days and Counting, the crash course for mastering life right now a simple guide to injecting meaning into every second you live for the rest of your life. Here's Robert. Robert, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for asking. Oh, I'm excited to have you. And we've already had a lot of laughs before the recorder went on. So I think we're in store for some more. And I think it makes a lot of sense because you know life is too short not to have some laughs along the way. And you have a tendency to measure your life By the day, in terms of number of days in your book, 20,000 Days and Counting, I'm curious, how did this concept enter your head and what's the value in it?
1: Pete, it's one of those things that was a total accident. So, you know, when the cell phones, the smartphones come in, everybody's wanting to download an app. Now know, I'm having to ask them, what's an app? You know, mm-hmm. when they were first coming out. So one of the earliest ones that you could download for free was a countdown calendar. They're still out there, but this one I don't think is available any longer, but I use this and it tells you how many days till Christmas or your next birthday or New Year's or something. And that was the purpose of the countdown, counting down. So I thought, I wonder if this counts backwards. And I put my birth date in there, 5, 5 And lo and behold, the number of days I had been alive popped up. That was around 19,980 some odd days. On
0: that very day. Oh, wow. On that very day.
1: <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, I've never seen my life in days before. And I would dare say most people have not. So I immediately thought, I need to do something special, not knowing what, on the next big number, which was 20,000 days. Mm -hmm. And on that day, happened to be a Friday, I left not knowing exactly where I was going, or how long I was going to be gone, or exactly what I was going to be doing. But I ended up staying in a small boutique hotel, a beautiful place, checked in, and I sat down and I thought, okay, now what am I doing here? And I suddenly gained an enormous amount of gratitude and appreciation for even being alive. Because in ninth grade, I saw one of my close friends that I'd had since second grade. We were on the outdoor basketball court and playing half court basketball. He was running after the ball to keep it in bounds and he tripped and fell flat on his face on concrete oh. and died. Oh my gosh. Now, When you're in ninth grade, you don't think, you know, this could be my last day. This might be my last step. That is not in your brain. And suddenly it was in mine. And I remember, I'm not afraid to die. That part of my life I feel is taken care of, but not knowing when, that's the trick. And so as I was sitting down in this hotel room, I was so grateful because here I am in the mid of your 54th year, not thinking I would have ever made it that far and very grateful that I had. So I wrote an email to Andy and Polly, his wife. And I just said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Such an honor to be working with you. I quoted five scripture references that had to do with time and eternity and not knowing how many days anybody has. And I put in some other personal stuff and sent that to him. As soon as I sent that, Pete, I thought of somebody else that I was very grateful for. So I wrote a similar email with those same scriptures, and I sent that to them, and then I thought of somebody else. For the next 18 hours, Uh I sat there and emailed 58 people, of which all of them responded, all of them replied, some of them called, some of them wanted to get with me, wanted to have a meal together or something, and discuss this concept of this counting up because none of them had ever heard of this. So over the next couple of years of sharing this principle with others, including Andy's publisher, I sent him one. And after a while, when I had put together this book, which was not a book because I didn't mean to write a book. It wasn't on my list to write a book, but we needed something on Andy's site because something had just been taken down. We needed something to put up. You know how you put something up being downloaded for free. If you give me your email. All right. So this is what we were going to use. But then my group, some of the guys decided, uh, Bob, this is too big or this is too good or we should print these and not just give this away. So I sent it to Andy's publisher and just asked, how much would it cost to give me 5,000 copies of this, you know, in hardback? Mm-hmm. And that's when they emailed. Then he called and he said, well, we don't want to print these for you. We want to print these, period. And we will publish this book and offered me an unbelievable deal. Is that not crazy? That's awesome. (laughs) And by the way, Pete, you know it never happens that way. Right. (laughs) You don't have the publisher calling you. So that's how that came about. But that principle is still something that sticks in my brain every single day. I'm still counting my days up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's the key is
0: that you're counting them up and not down because we don't know, you know, when it's going to end. And so in practice, what sorts of benefits or changes in your daily experience emerge when you do this?
1: Well, I think it creates a sense of urgency. Another one of those things, knowing that my friend had passed away in ninth grade, I thought I need to be prepared this day to exit this planet just in case. So do you know what, Pete? Never since I have left home since that day in ninth grade have I left with my bed being unmade. Now, my mom always wanted me to make my bed, but suddenly I was motivated because I thought, what if I don't come back? Now, I'm happy to say I've always come back. I'm sure I'm going to be wrong one day, and I will be prepared. So I want to say living this day as if it were your last, now that ramps up this count because one day you're going to be right. Yeah, correct? That's true. And, so, and you can read the obituaries every day on the news. Somebody has passed away. You know, I want it to be a long life, but many times it is not. And it's sometimes many freak accidents that happen at the most unexpected time. So you just never know when a person's time is. So I think that creates a sense of urgency in everything I've done, including with Andy, meaning I manage Andy Andrews, a New York Times bestselling author and speaker. And I've been doing that for 38 years. And even in the early days, not knowing what we were doing, and to this day, by the way, Pete, we still don't have a contract <laughs> between us because I never thought this was going to go that long. I thought <laughs> I was just going to help him out until he found somebody. And I think he has stopped looking. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea... I think that's what it is. You do all you can every single day, not anticipating that tomorrow's going to be available. So I think in the, even in the early days, I kept our finances in order. I kept the contracts in order. I really knew where we were every day business-wise. And amazingly, I still do.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. And so when you do a daily count, this kind of makes me think of prison now. Uh, you got to show up for count. <laughs> but when you do a daily count, like, oh, we are on day number 20,406. Or You know, kind of what happens in that ritual? Like, what are you actually doing? I imagine it's more than a, a noting the number. Like, huh, how about that? That's the
1: number. Well, I'm not sure if I'd look at it virtually every day as far as the number. Mm -hmm. Like I think I'm at 52,342 today. Uh So that's an awareness. But it's a mindset of counting down this day. And even I've got alarms and even my computers in my office announce the time every 30 minutes. So I'm just very aware of not wasting time, of redeeming the time. And there's two ways I do that. There's only two questions I ask myself all day long on how I create what I do off of a to-do list, which is very minor. But the questions are, what is important now and what's next? Mm -hmm. If you ask those two questions throughout the day, whenever you feel like you're stuck, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know where to begin on a project, when you don't know what project to begin, what's important now, and then as soon as you do that, what's next? Do you see how that will never end? Absolutely, yeah. just keeps going. So those two questions, as simple as it is, seems to work. And I've taught that to the guys I work with. And it ramps up everything they're doing because I'm very, very results-oriented. And I would dare say that any successful person has to be or you're not going to be successful. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, where you are, what job you're doing. If you're working for someone, clean off your desk before you leave. Get your inbox empty. Now, that may be impossible for everybody, but you know what I mean. You can get it down to beyond manageable and reply to everybody that needed reply that day. And there's many projects that you can work on after hours. You may say, now, wait, I'm not getting paid for after hours. Oh, yes, you are. Everything you do, if you're getting the results, you will get paid. The money may come later, but it will come. Mm. Okay. Well, so yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more.
0: You kind of went there already. Inside the world of kind of career and work and thinking about those days as they emerge. So you got your two questions, you're asking those. And so can you maybe make it real for us You say you've shared that with the folks you've worked with, sort of what sorts of changes or transformations have they seen in their daily work lives? Like, oh, no longer do I worry about this, but instead I do more of that.
1: When you say worry, I think that comes out of fear. And most people have a fear of not accomplishing, or they look at it as a problem. And I don't look at it as any problems. I mean, nobody ever walks into my office says we have a problem. No, we have a possibility. We have a, maybe an opportunity, but we don't even have challenges. This is another opportunity. So I don't look at problems. I look at projects. And that's why I've got whiteboards which are not white, <laughs> mm. meaning they're glass boards. You know, now they come in, in frosted and white and black even, you know, throughout the office here. But now we can quickly analyze what needs to be done, what's important now and what's next. So I think it's really making it slick. When I say slick, it's almost like a slip and slide. You do not use a lot of effort to slide on a slip and slide. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Now, all of us have been to the playground or seen little kids, or you might have been the little kid where you went to slide down a slide and you didn't make it, meaning you got stuck, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. A lot of people are doing that on a daily basis with their life. They're stuck mid-slide. That's crazy. That's crazy. So I'm saying that if you overcome or know that you want to get to the bottom and you prepare for that ahead of time by knowing what's important and what's next, you will get the results that you thought were going to take a long time. I also had another teacher in high school that had assigned us a term paper and he gave us weeks to do it. And probably midway through that time period, he walked by my desk and he said, Robert, how are you doing on your term paper? And I said, um, I haven't started yet. He just said one thing. He said, starting is half finished. Mm-hmm. Now, I have used that every week of my life on so many things that I simply try not to, because we do big things. I help get books Published in online courses. I mean, these are things you can't do today. Mm-hmm. These are things that take months or years to put together. So I have to be, my results are way down the road, but I look at minor results, what I can do today, and those are critical to get to the result I want at the end. So if I have to walk a mile today, You might as well take your first step. It's only made up of steps. It's made up of from one mailbox to the next. So I'm not afraid of walking from one mailbox to the next. And I'm not afraid of doing a little bit, meaning all that I can on that project today. Mm -hmm. I hear you.
0: Thank you. And so when it comes to the to-do list and putting things on there. Is there a particular way that you manage that? So you got some of the frosted glass, like whiteboard style things. So I guess I'm thinking, you know, some folks will say only put one thing or only put three things or only put five things or like what's your take on how you're actually sort of documenting the plan, the mission, the commitments for a given day?
1: Okay, that is a great thing because I had some of those people in my office. One day I said, we need to do this, we need to do this, and I've got another idea, and they said, no, no, we can't do that. We're working on this. We can't work on more than three things at a time. And I'm thinking, excuse me? So that created a whole other whiteboard session, (laughs) and it was called Pots, Platters, and Plates because sometimes, Pete, you just have a plate of things to do that is just a plate size. And a normal food plate. But some are like a turkey platter. Those are bigger. They're going to take longer. You There's mean, more oh, involved. Some projects are like platters? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm projects. some projects uh-huh. are even like a pot. Like writing a book, that might be a pot. Uh-huh. That's going to be a lot of things involved. And you're not going to spend that real easily. That's going to take some time. And so the whole concept, once we did that, I was able to expand how many pots, plates, and platters that we were spinning. Now it's pretty insane. And I've hired a full-time guy just to oversee all the projects we've got going.
0: So you came up with a, you got some fun alliterative framework there in terms of what's the size of a given project. And so, I don't know if I'm quite following, though, how did arriving at this set of distinctions kind of you know, change things so you can tackle more at once?
1: Okay, the idea is, remember I said that you can do a little bit yeah. on a certain thing, that what's important now? Mm-hmm. Well, on, let's say, a book, That's a big project, okay? So today, we might just write down a dozen titles. And that's all I'm going to do today. Tomorrow, what's important now is the content. So we're going to write uh, a table of content and maybe a simple outline of what the book's going to be like. There's going to be one day that what's important next or what's important now is the cover. So I'm meeting with the graphic designer to go over that. And that may be either a pot or a platter, but I'm doing little plates worth every single day on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I've got lots of those things going on. As you know, designing a web. If anybody's put together a web page, you're not going to do that today. Not if it's a good one and got a lot of content. And then if you add a store to it, it's even more. I mean, it's just more, more time. Mm-hmm. So. There's so many little things like that. And I would dare say most jobs have a variety of these things in it. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. There's going to be the end of the year financials, your tax return. Okay, that could be a pot unless you treat it monthly like a plate. Mm -hmm. Because if you gather all your information on a monthly basis, it's easy, including all your receipts and that type of thing. And then you can easily give it to your accountant at least quarterly by doing little plates worth throughout the year. And then you're not swamped with this big pot of stuff to do at the end of the year.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. So you're saying it's all about identifying, you know, what's a reasonable piece to bite off today Is that kind of like a ritual or process or habit in terms of at the beginning of the day, you establish these are the plates that I am committed to or how do you do that?
1: Yeah, I would know what's important now and what's next. You can easily write those things out. Mm -hmm. A lot of that kind of stuff might be dictated by calendars, meaning, you know, I got deadlines to meet also. And then I like to be unreasonable with the team and with what we're doing with promotions and websites and everything else. So I'm always giving deadlines that don't work. Okay.
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah. Now, wait a minute. Pete, make sure none of my team hears this, okay? <laughs> because you want to be unreasonable because you want to push yourself. You know, like if I told everybody listening that next Monday, now whatever day you're listening to this, mm-hmm. include yeah, on a Monday, next Monday we're all going to Switzerland, to Zermatt, Switzerland, on an all-expense-paid trip. Now, how many going to say I can't go mm-hmm. because i got too much to do? No, they're going to get their work done. They're going to negotiate with their boss. They're going to find a babysitter. They're going to arrange somebody to watch over the house. <laughs> they're going to do more in the next few days than they probably would have the entire month. I see, yes. So that you're saying that challenge, yeah. Every day of my life, Pete, figuratively, I'm going to Zermatt, Switzerland.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Okay.
1: Are you excited already?
0: let that sink in here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you tell me then in practice,
0: does that mean that you're just like working a ton and at risk for exhaustion or burnout or how do you manage that element of things?
1: No, because Pete, sometimes what's important now is going out to eat. All right. Sometimes in 40 days, I leave on a cruise with some friends. So that's going to be what's important now. And I've already got a couple trips next year. So I book far out those fun things, those trips. I do love to travel. So I've got eight days to the Yellowstone and the Tetons with the tour group and a bunch of friends. And then I've got a transatlantic cruise coming back. I fly to Barcelona and then take the ship back to uh, Fort Lauderdale next October. So those things I'm adding in constantly, I'm going to call that playtime mm-hmm. and fun time with friends. So no, there's a definite time you stop, but I'm looking for results constantly. Okay. Lovely. Lovely. So sometimes I got to work out. Absolutely. Five out of seven days, I'm in a gym and working out in a variety of ways to keep the cardio, to keep the muscles, to keep it all working.
0: Yep. So important. Especially just, just with stress management, you know, that alone. Not just like, you know, Absolutely.
1: keep it the muscle tone, but <laughs> just keep it your sanity. It's yes. so important. And since most of us possibly listening to this have sit down jobs inside and a lot of us on a computer Yeah. The physical activity cannot be negated. That has to happen. You know, you can get by with it for days or even months. And a lot of people try to get by with not doing it for years. And it always shows up as a problem somewhere later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, now I'd like to kind of touch base on a few of, I just love the teaser bullets for your book, 20,000 days. And I can't resist if you could tell us about each of them. What is it you have to say about motivation being a myth?
1: Well, most people are waiting to be motivated. They're waiting to get inspired. They're waiting to feel inspired. They're waiting to feel happy. I say that you do happiness, that you do inspiration. It's not how I feel that dictates what I do. It's doing how I want to feel. I want to be happy, so I act Happy. What do you mean you act happy? Well, what do you look like when you're happy? You smile, your voice is up, you're taking deep breaths, your head is up, your chest is out, you're walking tall, and you're smiling. That's mm-hmm. happy. Look at yourself in the mirror, and you cannot, if you did, if you just became what I described, if you just did all of that, you can't be sad. Now, if you hold on to that long enough, then that feeling will catch up. So I create, I do excitement daily. All day, I'm doing excitement. Therefore, my friends wonder, how do you stay excited? What do you mean, how do I stay excited? I do excited. I do happiness. And I think that is a huge key. Now, a lot of my sad friends, well, I don't have many, but those that are sad, they don't want to hear this because it works. Mm-hmm. It works. And then they
0: feel kind of guilty. like, "Oh,
1: Yeah. Some people <laughs> want to be sad. But they say they do sadness. They do lack of motivation. They do lack of accomplishment.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of professionals, particularly motivated, ambitious professionals, it's like we do stress and it's like we do busy and it's a fact like maybe kind of more demands than one can handle in terms of the hours available, but there's renegotiating your commitments and choosing what's in versus out and all that. And so It's sort of like we do stress. And I don't know if it's like something that we've conscientiously chosen such that maybe it's just kind of rising up within us and you know we feel kind of important. What would be your reflections with all your high achieving friends about doing stress and what's behind that?
1: Well, I want to say this. I think it's natural. It's like natural to be slow. It's natural to not run. Okay. So it might come up on you in a natural way, but I don't want to stay there. You know, fear might overcome somebody, but I don't want to do fear. So I want to do certainty. Okay. That's a totally different thing. It's almost the same actions may be done differently. I mean, you can frown or you can smile. It's the same thing, but done totally differently. And so stress, I go back. You're going to be stressed because you think you've got a problem or you got too many of them. But going back to looking at it as a project and write this down. Tell me why you're stressed. What's on your mind right now? What's causing you uncertainty? And when people write this down, usually you can come up with an answer to it right then. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't know the answer, tell me what you think the answer should be. Okay. Now, everybody's got an opinion. Hey, I may not know the answer, but Pete, you know I've got an opinion. Certainly. And everybody does.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. And well, now if I can hit another teaser bullet, what's the story associated with you only have two choices, yes and no?
1: Yeah. See, most people, so many people around me, I was noticing, including myself, you know, oh, I don't know what to do. How many times you hear somebody say that? Yeah, I got a problem and I don't know what to do. Well, there's only two choices. This isn't real hard. You can really take a piece of paper at the top, write the problem down that's holding you back. Right, yes on the left, no on the right, and you got to choose one. Now, you can say, well, if I'd say yes, here's what's going to happen. If I say no, here's what's going to happen. Those are the only two you've got. Now, you could say maybe I'm going to wait and all that stuff. The bottom line is it's only yes or no. So if I'm asked to go out to dinner tonight, oh, I could feel stressed, or I could say yes, I'll go, or no, I won't. Am I going to work late tonight? Yes, I will, or no, I won't. Am I going to find a way to make more money this year for the company I work with and therefore for myself? Yes or no? If you put that out there, you will find a way. Okay. Okay.
0: So you're saying don't overcomplicate things in terms of all the ins and outs and get yourself sort of stuck in a rut of non-action, but rather just make it very clear cut and sort of eyes wide open. Here are the trade-offs and consequences, and this is the way I'm going.
1: Absolutely. And you summed it up great by just saying non-action. Don't stay at the stop sign. Mm. (laughs) You just don't sit there forever. At some point you got to go. That's a yes. The no would be sitting there. So at some point, move. And a lot of people, Pete, think they see a dead end ahead of them it's not a dead end. If you keep going, keep driving till you get there, you'll notice it's a curve. It's just a turn left or right. So keep going. That's the way it is on life. There's many times I don't know how to do what I'm going to do. As a matter of fact, that's what I specialize in, Mm -hmm. doing stuff that I don't know how to do. Because then I'm more curious. Then I'm in peak state looking for answers. That's when I'm asking more questions. I'm seeking more advice. I'm looking for mentors, people that have done it already ready. Then my ears are wide open. And nowadays, everybody's got access to Google. You can ask Google anything. You're going to see videos. You're going to see answers. You've got Wikipedia. Most people are simply lacking some kind of information to help them move forward. And once they've got that information, then they can go. Mm, Thank you. I like that. And so now can you tell us a little bit about another
0: bullet you talked about conquering rejection forever and you've got some experience in the book game associated with the rejection after rejection after rejection. I had the same with my first book. I thought it was actually very a rewarding experience going to the mailbox and repeatedly seeing people tell you, no, it didn't hurt as much after that. It was like, okay, no big deal. So what's your take on the rejection piece?
1: The rejection piece, first of all, years ago when I was in college, I sold books door-to-door with the company Southwestern Publishing. Mm -hmm. Amazingly, they're still in business. They're located here in Nashville. They recruit students all year long. And during the early part of the summer, they train them and send them out across the nation to sell books. And I did that for 90 long days it was possibly the greatest experience of my life business-wise that i've ever done and the goal was to show your books to 30 people a day now they didn't talk about selling your books they just knew that if you showed them you know went from beginning to end and kind of gave your pitch that the law of averages was in your favor that you were going to sell somebody So I took that same principle away when I left, and I was booking Andy as a comedian in colleges. And so the goal was sitting there at home on the phone, simply... I got a legal pad, wrote one to 30, and would cross off every college I would call. Mm. The goal that day was to call 30 schools that did not want a comedian. Okay. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but my energy was up. I was excited because, you know, you can find more no's than you can yeses. That's right. So I thought, let me go after the no's. And do you know, in months of doing this, never once did I get 30 no's in a row without somebody saying, you know, we are thinking about a comedian. We would like to have Andy come and present at our school. And I'm thinking, darn. And I'd asked, are you sure you want Andy? To do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Now I'm saying that facetiously because, you know, I really did have to get to the S's. Right. But the fun part of it was really getting the no's. And to this day, even as I started the business with Andy and then he wrote a book called The Traveler's Gift. And I thought, oh my God, this book is life changing. I just know there's going to be a bidding war on this. By the way, that's never happened to me. (laughs) So I started pitching the manuscript to it, finding out later that it's not quite the way you do it. But I wasn't afraid and I started doing this and I got no after no after no. Then I thought I'm doing it wrong so I'll get a literary agent. And then they got no after no, I know. And then I thought maybe I got the wrong literary agent. So after a year, we got another literary agent. And they got no after no after no. And I'm thinking, you know, three strikes and you're out. So let me try one more literary agent. And you know, another year went by and they got all these no's. By the end of this time, we had collected. Fifty one knows that they didn't want to publish this book. Okay. Finally, I meet with a guy, a publisher, that had written an article, "How to Write a Winning Book Proposal," and I'm thinking, "Oh my heavens! What if I've been going about this all wrong?" And I just need it. Maybe it's my proposal that's bad, not the book. So we reworked it. In the process, he helped me get it right. And in the process, as a publisher, he was at Thomas Nelson. He came back and he said, Nelson wants to publish this book. Uh-huh. And I thought, wait a minute. I wasn't pitching the book to you. I think there's been a mistake. <laughs> you guys might be too Christian. I'm not sure. You know, and at that moment, he thought I was negotiating. So he offered me more money. <laughs> no, I didn't want the more money. I really don't think you're the right ones. Well, they ended up being the right one. They... Printed the book, released it. Six months later, Good Morning America started their book of the month called Read This. And they picked Andy's book as their second book of the month. And they had Diane Sawyer, Robin Roberts, and Charlie Gibson, all talking about Andy's book, four minutes, that's a lot of time on Good Morning America. And they even had some interviews with people that had read the book as a book of the month club. And that afternoon, Nelson had pumped up the bookstores with 40,000 copies. And all 40,000 were sucked out of the bookstores that afternoon. Mm. They started printing 20,000 a week. And for 17 weeks, it stayed on New York Times. Now it's in 35 different languages. And 12 years later, it is still in the top 20 of books being sold every single week from the publisher. Beautiful. That's so good. That's so So, good. Do you see why I eat nose for breakfast? Certainly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) And it's like you had some good sense along the way in terms of, you know, switching things up in terms of, okay, if I be find a different agent, okay, rework the proposal. That's great. And then it's like the actual receipt of a no, it seems like it doesn't have much of a you know emotional it's charge.
1: Yeah. It's not a negative thing to me. It's just another opportunity, another way to find, and you know what? That was my goal. So really I'm not losing I'm winning. Except the game a little bit backfired. That's the first and only time, Pete, that I got 30 in a row. Right. And then I thought, oh, no, what do I do now? The game broke. And I heard myself say, no, 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 just play the game again. So that's why I started playing it again. I said, okay, good. I'll get 30 more.
0: Mm. Thank you.
1: That's pretty crazy.
0: It is. It really is. It really is. And it reminds me a little bit of episode 16, Andrea Waltz talking about go for no and how no is also an indication that you have reached the end of what you should be asking for. It's like, you got it all, I've got nothing more. And so that's just a nice little indicator. Yeah. All right. You're finished there. And so now we can sort of move on and you won't know until you hear it.
1: Right. Excellent.
0: Well, and so can you also share with us what are the three sentences that will change your life immediately?
1: Three senses. Now, these are not original. And I'm assuming you're talking about the story of William Borden. Everybody knows of the Borden fortune, you know, the milk and ice cream mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Well, it might have been like 100 years ago. It was, it was in 1904. How do you like that? Mm -hmm. So this guy, he kind of turned away from the wealth and he went away and he felt very inclined to help people. He started a Bible study on campus and then he wanted to become a missionary. And, you know, in the early 1900s, you didn't have the communication nor the travel ease that you have today. So if you went overseas, you were really gone for overseas and mail took forever. And he carried his Bible with him and throughout every day he would read it and he was over there and got malaria and he passed away. Well, this was big news back in America that this wealthy family son had died, but yet he had died doing something that he wanted to do. And that was making a major impact. And they found these six words or three sentences in his Bible about no reserves, no retreats and no regrets. Mm. And those three ideas made me want to release my breaks. I don't want any. I don't want to hold back anything. No reserves by the end of the day. I do not want to retreat and go back. If I thought the book was going to work, if I thought this was a great book, I am not allowing a no to make me cower and go back. And then no regrets. I don't have any regrets. I'm pushing forward. And I think everybody that's listening to this has that in them right now. They want to do all of these things, but somehow they too have their brakes on. And to me, this is one way of releasing your brakes and moving forward. Don't be afraid of the nose. Don't be afraid of holding back. Do not hold back. Go full force. Don't retreat back. Keep looking for the yeses. Mm.
0: Thank you. Yes. Well, Robert, this is so much good stuff. You tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure that we cover off before we shift gears and hear a bit about your favorite things?
1: I just wanted to say, you know what? We talked about battle-tested branding and the uh, free book, No Brand is an Island. If people want more of this type of information for themselves, how to manage yourself, how to look at yourself as a brand, because we all are one. And how I think and how I work with the brands I work with that they would never come up with on their own, that thinking is written down in these little books.
0: Oh, very handy. Thank you. Well, so then can you start us off by sharing a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: Let me see. Well, that one from William Borden was a great one right there because I've certainly used that for a long time. I want to say this, William Blake, he was a British poet and painter. Now, in my book, as you know, there's a bunch of quotes, and each of them, I knew when they were born, and I knew when they died. So William Blake, he lived exactly (laughs) 25,458 days, and he said the hours of folly are measured by the clock, but of wisdom, no clock can measure. Mm, Thank you. I remember Ogmandino wrote something in The Greatest Salesman in the World that experience is overrated by old men who nod wisely and speak stupidly. (laughs) So if you are young and you have these great ideas, do not let your youth hold you back. Don't you put the brakes on because you're young. Now is the time to move forward because you may not have the experience, but you can still have wisdom when you are young and making the right decision. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research? I want to say my whole life is a study. So I'm going to tell you my life is the study. Okay, cool. Can I tell you that? You can. Because I'm always intrigued by what works, what doesn't work, the amount of pots, platters, and plates that we've got spinning. So I'm constantly studying how many more can we put up there? How many more people can we reach through our membership classes in a weird way? How much more can I motivate Andy and Jerry to write more? And how can we reach more by writing the kind of books people want to read, creating more bestsellers like the left-behind series. Mm -hmm. Now, many people tell us, oh, you're not going to make that happen again. I just can't accept that. Now, they might be right, but I'm not going to hold back in trying. And when that traveler's gift hit New York Times, people said, wow, that's a great gift for your first book. That's unbelievable. That will not happen again. Well, it's happened two more times. (laughs) Good work. And we're not done. You know, we got another one coming out in March. And, you know, am I holding back? No. I'm going to be pushing to see how many people. It's not about New York Times, Pete. It's about how many people can we reach with this book. Mm. Cool. And how about a
0: favorite tool, something that you use that boosts your effectiveness? Can I say my iPhone? Oh, sure.
1: Now, let me get specific on the iPhone. This is a thing that I do that I can't find anybody around me that's doing this. I think everybody's got notes on there. Mm -hmm. And so you can pull that up, and then you've got that little microphone. Most people type, I talk. Rarely do I type even an email. I talk it and then correct it. Because Siri's not hearing me correctly all the time, but I've gotten better communicating with her or him or whatever she (laughs) is. And so that would be my favorite tool is in notes and being able to talk my thoughts out. As a matter of fact, I do a page. I create one that says thoughts and it says September, 2016. And for the whole month, I will talk, 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 usually in the morning, but I don't hesitate throughout the day. And recently I gathered up last year's and put all of them in word documents. And I had over a hundred thousand words Written out. Yeah. That is like seven or eight of my books worth of content. Right. Now, I assure you that's a lot of content. I've not gone through and scrubbed it or rearranged it or looked at my topics. No, they're just thoughts. But I get tickled when people even ask me, Oh, you wrote a book? Mm, No, not really. I talked a book. And Andy, even when he first read it, he says, oh my gosh, you so captured your voice. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? What what are you talking about? He says, well, very few authors ever capture their voice or get a rhythm of going that sounds like them. And I'm thinking, ah, well, and I let the cat out of the bag. I said, you know, I really did talk this book. I didn't write it. And he got tickled because he can't do that. He can't talk his books yet. He's a talker, but he has to write what he does. So all of you that want to write a book and you think you can't, You can write if you can talk. How do you like that?
0: That's good. That's good. And how about a favorite nugget of yours that you share that really seems to resonate with people in terms of them, you know, taking notes and retweeting and nodding their heads?
1: I want to say that recently I've really led this one idea several times in the last week and reminding or telling, I'm not sure which. My entire team. And that is a lot of people think they run into somebody in a bad mood. You know, they didn't learn to do happiness. And they say, uh, oh, my, so-and-so got up on the wrong side of the bed. And my hallucination is they went to bed on the wrong side. So it's what I do at the end of the day that sets my day, my morning. So by listing gratitude like crazy and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, and listing all the things I'm grateful for. And then I wake up in that same mode of like, first of all, I woke up. Remember, I went to bed thinking it might be my last day. I wake up mm. and I'm grateful, excited, another day. And I love to get up in the dark. I think that's just before everybody else is getting up, although there's still a lot of people up. But you get it started. You can't get up too early. You can't spend too much time alone. You can't write too much notes of this nature about yourself, about life in a journal. It's just empowering when you do.
0: hmm and what would you say is the best place for folks to learn more about you or see what you're up to?
1: TheRobertD.com.
0: All right. And do you have a final challenge or parting words or call to action for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? First of all, know that you
1: can. All right. And know that you can help. Here's a unique thing, and I can't tell this to the two acts I manage because it's too weird. Although they know how I feel about this, some people say oh, it's a lot of work. In my brain. I serve Andy Andrews. I serve Jerry Jenkins. In one weird way, Pete, I actually serve the 17 people on our team. The more I serve them, the more I'm interested in their lives, and I remind them that this job is not their life. Mm -hmm. that they are called to a higher purpose, that they are here to make an impact, that God put them here for a special purpose and they're to find out this is a vehicle. This might be a safety net for them to create something amazing on their own. Although a lot of them have joined our forces in creating what we're doing. They are a massive, integral part about what we're doing. I want to encourage every employee to know that you are critical of the company you're working with, And ask, go and take a survey with your boss, with your manager, with the president of the company. Hey, what can I do to better serve you? What are you looking for? What are the holes that need to be filled? Because they're looking for people to fill those and there's no limit to what they will pay as a rule for somebody that keeps serving people because it's so rare and yet it's so needed. Mm, Thank
0: you. Well, Robert, this has been a real treat. Absolutely inspiring and get some good positive vibes flowing. I appreciate this so much and I wish you tons of luck and all you're up to here.
1: Absolutely, Pete. And thank you for doing what you're doing. You're making a big impact on a lot of people and appreciate all your efforts to reach out to so many.
0: I like that notion about doing excitement. It can be natural to assume you just feel the way you feel, but you do have some influence over that and it can be super handy to make it count, to make the day count. So, Again, if you want to check out the show notes, the links to stuff that we referenced here, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep93. And I do hope you'll hang out for the next episode. Punch the subscribe button. We are talking to Sharon about fashion. So we haven't gone there yet, but uh, she's got a fiery, fun personality. And so we're going to hear a little bit about fashion and professionalism. Try that on for size. <laughs> Get it. Try it on for size. And please let me know if you want more episodes like that. It's a little different, but I'd like to experiment and see what works. So please shoot me a note, pete at com with any of your feedback. Or if you are interested in training in 2017, if you let me know before 2016 concludes, there's a $1,000 discount that can be yours. So hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode
1: of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.